independence uh, from Britain, 1776, and all that has ensued since then. So I'm going to ask if we have any veterans or any active military or any first responders, folks, please stand this morning so we can honor you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you are loved. Thank you for your service. If you are not here at 9.45, we had a flag dedication ceremony uh, for one of our great members, Tad Ferran. And so if you were not here for that, I'm going to encourage you to stop by the flagpole on your way out and read the plaque and the dedication that is inscribed. They're a very powerful experience for us as a church this morning. I thank you again, Troop 1020, for being here. And if you have opportunity, please show your appreciation to our local fire department. They were here, had the trucks out there. We really appreciate what they do for our community. I want to say thank you again. Uh, Barbara had mentioned this, uh, but thank you for all of our VBS volunteers and the work that you put in. You don't realize it. The impact that you're making in a child's life. I had believers drop seeds in my life when I was a little guy. Didn't produce fruit for quite a long time but it eventually did. And you all are, are seed planters and your servants. And, and when I hear that there were 45 volunteers and we had 69 kids, almost a volunteer for each one of the kids that were here, that tells me you love our kids here at this church and you believe in raising up this next generation. So thank you. All right, so July 29th, I have one more announcement for you. July 29th, we are having our baptism service. That is going to be at the local uh, Wave Park. And so if you have not been baptized or you have a family member who desires to be baptized, it's time. It's time to, to set that marker in your life to say, look, there's no going back. I am going to serve Jesus. And uh, we're going to have that service. Uh, so if you'd like to be baptized or you have some questions about what baptism is all about, please sign up online. You can use the app or you can use uh, our website or speak to one of our guest services out front. And we will follow up with you uh, for our baptism service. And then also, I want to encourage you, church, continue to financially support your church. This ministry exists to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, but we pay the bills through our shared collection of resources. And so please continue to honor the Lord in your giving here at the church, and you know the different ways that we give in the boxes and online and all that. Well, this morning, uh, we're turning back to the Gospel of Matthew. So let's pick our Bibles up. I want to see those beautiful Bibles. Let's lift those up in the air. Wow, okay, or your devices. Yes, yes, your yeah, I know. We're, some of us were like, I got my Bible on an app. I see you got your apps open. Look at y'all. Okay, so uh, Lord, this morning we, we are ready. We're ready to study your word. So Holy Spirit, please uh, illuminate our minds. Open our minds this morning that we're going to see and, and give us hearts to receive and ears to hear and, and a, a willingness to obey and surrender ourselves to your word and not mandate that you surrender your word to our will. That, Lord, we are going to humble ourselves before you, a holy God, that you, Jesus, laid down your life, you were, you were crucified, you were buried, and you have risen, you have purchased us from death, and so now we seek to honor you. Give us what we need today from your word. Teach us your word that we would be people who build our life on it, not just hearers. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 12, I want to thank Kevin Davis for his wonderful teaching over the past two weeks. 
uh, here at Firewall Bible Fellowship, sound biblical teaching. That is what we're about. We are a verse-by-verse teaching church. Uh, it ain't flashy and it's not fancy, but it's what you need for your soul. Family, do not get away from sound biblical teaching. Verse-by-verse teaching is so, so important uh, for your spiritual life, for your family, for your marriages, for the raising of our kids in the faith. Kevin, you did a wonderful job. Thank you for your faithful teaching of the text. So Matthew chapter 12 really could be labeled the chapter of the antagonistic Pharisees and religious leaders, and it's problematic in in so many ways, but in the major ways because they were the spiritual leaders uh, of of the people of Israel. And and here's something we got to keep in mind. When the spiritual leaders walk away from the faith, that means the people wander away from the faith. It is an indictment really of an entire generation as we're going to see that this morning. We're going to witness a generation that had become grossly and spiritually sick. And I learned this past week, I was at scout camp, and I learned how sickness works. And I, and I, I, <laughs> I didn't personally get sick, but I saw it. And, and I learned about how when a toxin enters a body, it begins to destroy the body. Unless something is introduced to counteract that particular toxin, that body's going to continually break down and eventually die. Well, what happens is this toxin gets unleashed in a generation. And if that toxin is not addressed, if it's not uh, brought before the Lord, well, it'll spread through the entire generation and death will ensue. And we're going to see some clear symptoms of what generational sickness looks like. And we're going to talk about where we're at as a country, and I I think that's very important for us on on this particular Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. When a generation gets sick, you will see a rejection of Jesus, okay? That that is a clear indicator that a generation is, is getting sick. You will see a hardness of heart, a hardness of heart to the things of God, and you will also see a welcoming of the demonic. We may not see it that way on the surface, but as we get into the text, I think you'll see that. So we're picking up in chapter 12, verse 38, and it appears that there's a group of Pharisees and religious teachers that are coming up to Jesus with a legitimate request, like they're wanting to see some type of evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. The people are chattering about, uh, talking about Jesus maybe being the Messiah. And so these religious leaders, they come up, they're like quality control. They got their clipboards out and they're, they're, they're wanting to see Jesus prove himself. Uh, but before they even approach, they're ready to slap a, a sticker on there that, that essentially reads that Jesus is not a fit Messiah. Verse 38 Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Well, on the surface, it seems like a legitimate and even genuine request. They're they're wanting to see clear evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. But here's the problem with this. In chapter 12, we had already seen, witnessed, couple of times, clear signs that Jesus is the Messiah. We saw him heal the man with the withered hand in the synagogue, and we saw Jesus heal the man who was demon-possessed, who was both blind and mute. The signs had already been displayed, miracles on display. In fact, through the Gospel of Matthew, we witness miracle after miracle through the Scriptures. But here's what we come to discover— And I think this is true in in our lives. I think we have witnessed this, and maybe even this has been our experience. 
you can see powerful works of God. Like you can see the miracles of God on display. You can literally have a miracle drop in your lap. But there are some people who no matter what, they're just not going to believe. They want Jesus to perform for them. In our vacation, we went to the St. Louis Zoo. I don't know if you all ever go to the zoo, but St. Louis Zoo, phenomenal. Great zoo. Uh, we walked in. You know, you want to see the animals perform, right? You don't want to see animals sleeping. You don't want to go see a tiger sleeping. You want to see a tiger running around. You want to see a gorilla running around. Well, we got to the bear enclosure, the grizzlies, and uh, I don't want to just see a grizzly. I want to see a grizzly walking around. And so I'm there at the glass, you know, and I'm like, hey, bear. Hey, bear. And, and the grizzly, you know, they come, they got their heads, and they'll just come walking out. And I'm, I'm like, oh, it's performing for me. And, and I can imagine that bear's like, oh, if that glass wasn't there. <laughs> You know, the, the Pharisees and the religious teachers, they approach Jesus behind the glass of Jesus' first advent. They throw shade. But I'll tell you, not a single person is going to be throwing any shade or talking any smack to the Lord Jesus when he returns. So they talk all tough. They want to see Jesus perform. And Jesus radically rebukes them in verse 39. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. If you missed it, Jesus just called the Pharisees and religious teachers a wicked and adulterous people. They've turned away from God. They are, they are cheating on God with their law. And we may ask the question, why is Jesus so upset? Because these Pharisees, these religious teachers, they have come to Jesus to find reasons to condemn him. They appear to be seekers. And I've come to discover that there are seekers and then there are seekers. There are those who will seek Jesus, who will come into the church, and, and, and they have a desire to learn. They're curious. They, they attend a Bible study. Maybe they, maybe they go to a gathering. They, they show up, and they, they come in, and they listen. They're, they're seeking. And yet there are others who appear to be seekers, but they're only seeking to condemn. It's like that person who walks up to you, and they go, So, uh... So the, so the Bible teaches everybody who doesn't believe go to hell? That particular person is not curious. They're not seeking. They have a, an understanding in their minds of what the Bible teaches. They are ready to condemn. These religious teachers are not seeking to know Jesus. They are seeking to condemn Jesus. These religious leaders are willfully rejecting their Messiah, in, effort, in effect, cheating on their God. Well, I want to share something with you this morning, uh, something that's really been on my spirit to share, and, and uh, I, I want to do this in, in grace. While we traveled in St. Louis, uh, we visited the sites around the city, and I'm, I'm sure this is true of probably every major metropolitan uh, setting, but um, I saw church after church with a pride flag out front. And I want to be very careful with this. Please hear me. If you are gay or unsure of your gender, if you have a family member who is gay or unsure of their gender, I, I want you to know, honestly, absolutely you were loved by God. And you were loved here in this church. You, you really are. You are absolutely loved. But what I'm seeing and, and what we need to be aware of as a church is, is there is an agenda Okay, And it's not an agenda about acceptance or love or being welcoming. Okay, because I believe we can kind of hammer that stuff out, but, but what we're actually seeing an agenda is at its core, it's actually anti-Christian. 
Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Um, when we look at the LBGTQ movement, what it's actually doing is accelerating anti-Christian sentiment throughout our country. And we see this from small town hamlets to metropolitan cities to the things that are flooding our school systems, targeting our kids, filling up the media, bombarding us at every turn. And here's the thing we come to discover. It is not a movement that is, that is wanting to accommodate or bring Christianity in is to reject. And, and here's the reason. Because the scriptures and Christianity teach some things that are a threat to the movement. And here's what I mean by that. And please understand, I'm saying this in grace. The Bible clearly teaches that homosexuality is sin. Okay, we, we don't have to argue that point. We don't have to wrestle that one out in the sense of like the biblical text. If you read the text as it sits, it does teach that homosexuality is sin. The Bible clearly teaches that gay marriage is wrong in the church. Like we know that. As a, as a as spiritual organization and as a church. That doesn't mean we, we are mean to people who are gay and married. That means we love them. But the Bible clearly teaches that it, that it is wrong. And the Bible clearly teaches that gender is not fluid. Okay, so like when we look at the text, God created man, uh, created the male and female. Okay, there's a definite statement throughout the scriptures as it relates to gender. That is what the text teaches. Now, as Christians, we must first and foremost be a people of the book. Okay, does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about when I say the book? What book am I talking about? The Bible. We must be a people of the Bible. We can't change the Bible. We can't alter the Bible. We can't reinterpret it or make it more palatable. And here's the thing. We can't make it more palatable to people who do not love Jesus. People who are not seeking to love Jesus and will do whatever it takes to remove any influence of Jesus in this world. Family, this is alarming. Churches are closing left and right. Christians are getting quiet. And for some reason, we have stopped being that salt and that light, living out the truth of the text, living out Christianity, and our culture is dying. We are living in a culture that is rejecting Jesus. And, and here's what I want to say. We can't be a pride church. We cannot. But we can be a church that loves gay people. And just in case you think somehow that because I talked about homosexuality, like other sins are like kind of slipping through the cracks and you're like, oh, I'm sure glad you didn't cover that. Well, here's what I want to say to that. We can all be married to Jesus and still be sleeping with the world. And we as Christians have a, a wonderful ability to be selective in the things that we address. And the reason why I address this this morning is be specifically because of the movement and what it's actually doing. And family, you need to be aware of that. And you need to protect your children from it. You absolutely do. You need to stand up and protect your grandchildren from it because it is destructive, it is deadly, and it's really demonic. Uh, and its core. So Jesus refer, uh, refuses to cater to the Pharisees' duplicitous requests and offers them a sign. Listen to this. Verse 39. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Listen to this. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Jesus, I love this, he takes these religious leaders on a trip through the scriptures. 
And he takes them to this, this small little prophetic book of Jonah that tells the story of the wayward prophet. God had commanded Jonah to go to the great city Nineveh to preach against the capital city and really the entire people of Assyria whose wickedness, the stench of it had reached heaven. And so like any good prophet, he heads on down to Joppa and tries to sail away in the opposite direction. Well, you know the story, right? So God sends a great storm. He ends up getting thrown over the boat and gets swallowed by what? A great fish. A big old fish. I'm a fisherman. I, you know, I, I'm thinking about what if I got that on the line. Anyway, you got this big fish, and he gets swallowed. Wouldn't that be funny? Pastor Chris was talking about this fish. Next week he got swallowed by one. That was crazy. <laughs> so he gets swallowed by a fish, and he gets barfed up on this beach. And he goes and he starts preaching. I know, that is kind of gross. He's like all covered in fish barf or whatever. I don't know, but he smelled. So he walks into the city of Nineveh, and he begins preaching against it. Now, on the surface— not in a million years would you think this city would repent. I mean, there's no way. There's no way you would ever think the Ninevites would repent. But Jonah began to preach, and the king heard it. He immediately took off his robes, put on sackcloth, covered himself in ashes, and began to repent and mourn. He issued a national edict of repentance. And the people of Nineveh, the greater people of Assyria, repented before a holy God, and God relented in the judgment that he was going to bring. This beautiful picture. You know, Jesus began preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The people of Israel did not repent. They grew hard-hearted. You see, there is first a rejection of Jesus, and then there is a hardening of the heart. I want you to imagine with me this morning— what do you think would happen if a, a political figure, a governmental leader stood up and, and addressed the entire nation, all 330 plus million people of the United States, and said, all citizens of the United States, we are issuing an edict that we are all to don sackcloth and ashes and fall before a holy God and repentance. What do you think the response of our country would be? Laughter, mocking, rejection, and that leader would quickly be out of a job. And as a people, we should repent before a holy God. We've become incredibly selfish and greedy. We have wandered away as a people. We have turned away. And that's not just outside in the culture, but that's in our own hearts, in our own lives. And Jesus references the people of Nineveh, and he's like, you guys are so hard-hearted. Then he talks about this queen, verse 41, the men of Nineveh, I'm sorry, I didn't read this verse, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus greater than Jonah. Verse 42 the queen of the south, such a great story found in Second Chronicles, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. It's this wonderful picture, this, this queen, we call her Queen of Sheba, most likely coming from Ethiopia, traveled like almost 3,000 miles by caravan. It took months. 
because she had heard that there was somebody who had the wisdom of the living God. She traveled this great distance. She came to Solomon. She asked Solomon all kinds of questions. And Solomon displayed the God-given wisdom. She was in awe. And when I think about that, like how far the queen of Sheba was willing to travel, these religious leaders wouldn't travel a couple of miles to sit at Jesus' feet. But then I think about our culture and our community. There is literally a church within the, with about a mile from everyone's home. And we still can't get there. We still can't get there to go sit and study scripture and to learn what Jesus is teaching. To just travel a mile to get into the word. And Jesus is like, you know, uh, the people of Nineveh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. The queen of Sheba, she traveled to go sit at Solomon's feet. And Jesus is like, I am greater than Jonah. And I am, I am greater than Solomon. Family, Jesus is greater and superior to any other philosopher, teacher, spiritual leader, spiritual teacher ever. There is nobody greater. If you were going to sit at anybody's feet, let it be Jesus. And yet so many still will not seek him. And one of the reasons, family, for the rejection of Jesus, for the hardness of heart, it is because the demonic is having free reign of a generation. Verse 43. I just call this section when demons throw house parties. When demons throw house parties. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. We're introduced to a demonic spirit. And apparently, this demonic spirit has been kicked out of a house. And I guess demonic spirits, they don't like living alone. All right? They, they're not happy. They're not comfortable. They're not at rest unless they're tormenting somebody. And so this particular demonic spirit gets kicked out. And after a while, the demonic spirit goes, you know, that house I lived in was pretty sweet. Verse 44. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And, and when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. This is the person's life who experiences a deliverance. Of sorts. We see it multiple times through Matthew's gospel, Jesus casting out the demonic. In this particular person's life, the demonic is, is removed and, and their life gets put back, to, back into order, but the Holy Spirit, God, is not invited all the way back into their life. So the house is really left open with a vacancy sign hanging in front where the demonic can move in and out at will. Verse 45 then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This demonic spirit goes and gathers up seven buddies more evil than itself and moves back into this person's life. You know, it reminds me of, of, those, of those parents, those unsuspecting parents that, that went on vacation, but they left the kids at home. You know what I'm talking about? I would get a call from a friend, hey, Chris, don't tell nobody, but my parents are gone. So why don't you, why don't you have a couple of people over? I'd be like, dude, I'm not going to tell nobody. Get off the phone. I call everybody I know. <laughs> High school and college. I'm like, hey, the house is open. Yeah, no, seriously. So I would go, and I would go gather up seven plus buddies or more, like, like more, more uh, messed up than myself, and we would go into that house, and we'd throw a house party. Well, here's the thing that would happen. We'd show up at the house, 
everything would be put in order. Within a few hours, every toilet in the house would be stopped up. <laughs> uh, every piece of furniture would be in the pool, and invariably something would be on fire. It was a party. Well, that's what happens in a life. You go get yourself cleaned up. Maybe you start practicing some religious things. Maybe you hear a podcast. Or you get some self-help books, and you start to get things put back in order, but you don't have God move all the way into your life. All you have is a vacancy sign in front of you. The demonic can move in and out at will. That's true on the personal level, but it's also true on the generational level. Now, look at the end of verse 45. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Family, you kick God the Father out. You kick the Lord Jesus Christ out. You kick the Holy Spirit out of a generation. You throw away scripture. You remove prayer. You close down churches. What are you left with? All you have is the demonic. With nothing to restrain it. And the demonic teaching that is, that is permeating our culture. Family, what we need now in this country more than ever are Christians who really step up and live out the faith. Look, a couple of generations ago, everybody was sort of Christian. We could kind of swim in every stream. It was cool and comfortable. But the time is now. We have the opportunity to really live out our Christian faith in a time, in a place, in a generation where there is legitimate darkness and antagonism. We can actually live bold for the faith. We have this incredible opportunity to bring the light of Christ into this world, to live out our faith. And I'm going to tell you right now, to do that, we need each other. We need Christian family. Our families need to be gathered together. We need to be gathered together in the church every single week. We need the church. We need our Christian family. Verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside. He replied to them, now, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. He's like, this is my family. Verse 50, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What is Jesus teaching us? He is teaching us that there are relationships that are greater. And at times even more important than our relationship with our mother and our brothers and our sisters and our spouse and even our children. That relationship is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but our relationship with brothers and sisters. There are relationships that we have here in the church that are more intimate than some of our family relationships. Some of us have a, an okay relationship with family members, but you have a really good relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is that? Because we have something that's thicker than blood, okay? It is the Holy Spirit of God in us. This week at camp, as I, as I got to know people in the camp, there were these moments where I just kind of like looked at, at somebody, they looked at me, and we're like, you know Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus. And there was an immediate familial bond. We were connected. 
Family, we have a family. And it is here in the church where we get to enjoy our relationship in Christ as brothers and and, and sisters. When God is our Father, and Jesus is our Savior and King, and the Holy Spirit is our source of God's power and presence, we are family. And family, we need family, don't we? You know, it's a lonely world out there without, without brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of y'all don't have a Christian family. Some of you don't even know what a Christian family is. I'll tell you, the, your, your entrance into the family begins when you invite Jesus into your life. When you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. That's what Jesus was talking about with the sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights. Jesus spent three days and three nights in the grave. He is risen. All who place their faith in him will live. So I want to give you a a few take-homes. First, we live in a hard-hearted generation that rejects Jesus. Is that a shock to anybody in here? Are any of you shocked by that? Is that accurate? Okay. Well, here's the thing. That doesn't mean we stop. You know, we live in this generation that's becoming progressively more and more anti-Christian. That the only thing that's wrong today is being faithful to Scripture and be a sound, spirit-filled believer. Serve Jesus anyway. Don't give in and don't quit. The testimony of Tad Ferran that we talked about this morning, that's a great testimony of a man who lived his life well. He ran the race of faith. He served the Lord wholeheartedly. Family, let's be a people of the Word. Let's not change the Word. Let's not try to augment the Word. Let's be a people of the text. Secondly, don't forget the greatest sign in history. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here's the thing. You can can get on a plane. You can travel to Israel right now. You can get off that plane and go, okay, I want to see the grave of Jesus. And you get there. And it's crazy. You won't find anything in it. Why is that? He's what? He's what? He's what? I want you to think about what you just said. He lives. He has risen. You know, one of the things that has has become more and more troubling for me, can you bring the lights up here? This used to be a symbol that meant something to people. And now you can't even find them. We live in a culture that doesn't even know what this means. We can't forget about the cross. We can't keep tearing them down. I just, church after church after church, as I drove through these old towns, they're all, they're all torn down and they're wore out. These places of worship. We need to continually hold on to our Christian faith. I want to say this, don't just get your house in order. 
Don't just get all cleaned up on the outside. Invite Jesus all the way on in the inside. And let him do the powerful work in you. Because if not, all that's left are the demonic. And then finally, I just want to say this. Spend time with your family. That's what I loved about today. We came together for the flag dedication. We came together for, for this, this time of honoring. But afterwards, we spent time as a family. We were eating together. Thank you for whoever put out the spread. We really appreciate you. That big bowl of fruit. I, was, that was, I didn't get any, but it looked good. I'm not saying that people were walking around with two plates of fruit, but what do we laugh? Somebody ate all the fruit. That's what we were laughing about. Um, but we need to spend that time as a family. Amen? All right. Well, thank you all for allowing me and the privilege and the honor to be your pastor. I missed being home and being here with the family, and it really is a privilege to teach the scripture every single week. Family, let's, let's continually plug in. And let's get really connected as a family and grow together. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, we thank you. <laughs> so, Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your word. And, uh, Lord, we are, we are going to surrender ourselves to it. Um, if you're a seeker today, and you're, you're wanting to know Jesus, and you... I uh, don't know how to begin that relationship. Um, but you're wanting to. Like you're wanting to invite Jesus all the way into your life like you know it right now. I'm just going to ask, everybody keep your heads down, eyes closed. I'm going to ask that you just raise your hand. You're wanting to invite Jesus into your life today. That's you. Okay. Okay, I always give the opportunity. Yeah. So Lord... Uh, we, we not only uh, ask for you to move all the way into our life, but we ask that you move all the way into your church. We invite you all the way in, Holy Spirit. We ask that you move in power. We ask that, that God, you continually bring about a revival here in this place, bring about a revival of souls, bring about a, a spiritual life, or that we would be a people that honors you. And that, Lord, we be a people that holds on to truth and stands firm for it. Lord, we ask for our generation. We, we ask for forgiveness, Lord. We are a people who have wandered away from you. We're doing what is right as it seems in our own eyes. And, um, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We pray that you bring revival to our country, that you restore spiritual sanity. And that you raise up a generation of Christians who are going to live and honor you through their whole life. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, I want to invite our students up here uh, who are leaving for camp on Tuesday. And so Tuesday campers, come on up here. All right, any student leaders here? Come on up here. Student leaders, if you're going to camp... Come on up. All right. Y'all, come on this way. Let's spread you out. There's more coming? Okay. Because I didn't see him. Right now? Okay. You guys excited? Yeah. Yeah. I love Camp Copus. Yeah, it's a great place.
Well, that's why we, we appreciate that as well, that the leaders are taking our kids off our hands. <laughs> I got home this morning, or we got home yesterday from scout camp, and uh, the house was so clean. <laughs> it was so clean. And, and Mama came in, she's like, why is the house so dirty? I was like, your tribe came home. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Miss Barbara. Come on up. Great. And uh, can we show our appreciation, Miss Barbara Brown? You are doing a phenomenal job with our children's ministry. I believe this has been one of the best BBSs we've had. God is moving in power, and thank you for your faithful service. And thank you for student leaders. Keegan, thank you for the work that you're doing with our student ministry and taking these kids to camp. So church, we're going to pray. Can we stand together? And we're going to pray over our students that God speaks to them. How many of y'all had powerful experiences at church camp growing up? Yeah. And we're going to ask that God moves in power this week. So Lord, we thank you for these students. Uh, Lord, we, we ask um, that, Lord, this week be set apart in their life. We pray that this week you do such a profound work in their life that they are forever changed. Change the trajectory of their life that they would live for you and honor you. We pray that they would encounter you in powerful ways. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would absolutely fill them this week. We pray that powerful uh, times of worship and study of your scripture. We pray for great fellowship and laughter. We pray for safety over them, getting them to camp and bringing them home. And we pray abundant blessings over mom and dad's heart as the kids are away. I know that makes us, makes us uh, homesick a little bit. We want our kiddos with us and our kiddos want to be home. But we pray that, God, you would just give them a wonderful week at camp. Be powerfully moving with the leaders. And, Lord, we're going to rejoice at the miracles you're going to do this week. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys. Have a great week. <laughs> All right, family, it's time. What time is it? To go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now lavish that love on one another and go rock the streets with the love of Jesus. And by the way, next week, one of our missionaries, our family missionaries will be home. Dave and Gloria Furman will be joining us for worship. So come and show your love. Have a great week.